What's up, guys? I'm so delighted that you're joining us for the very last teaching in this series, My Best Life. And I have just enjoyed so uh, teaching this series. Before we jump into today's uh, lesson, uh, I want to take a moment and tell you how excited I am about next week's new series. It's our prayer and fasting 40 days series. We call that PF40. You'll hear more about that next week. Uh, but uh, it's simply called Encounters. And I'm going to be looking at over the course of the six weeks as we head towards Easter, various encounters that Jesus had with different individuals in the Gospels and how those encounters led to radical transformations in those individuals' lives. And here's the deal. That Jesus that we're studying and thinking about, well, he ultimately would die on Calvary's cross and would conquer death through his resurrection, which we celebrate on Easter. So now that everlasting one wants to have encounters with you and me and our family and our friends. And so make sure you tune in next week, same time, super excited to kick this series off. All right. Okay. Today I'm calling this last message simply liberation. Can you shout liberation? All right. Let's return to the passage that we read last week in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. Jesus is strolling on a Sabbath day, uh, and here's what the text says. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Of course, Jesus had to explain to them they weren't working, and the law says no work. They were simply delighting as they moved about, enjoying the blessings that they found. And then he summarizes what should be the insight for all of us in these words. It says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. On the one hand, he's saying, listen, the Sabbath is a gift from God to all of us, and we all desperately need the Sabbath. And yet, it was never intended by God that this gift would become a source of enslavement to the legalistic requirements, right? Till we miss the big point. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going to be talking about the Sabbath today. I'm just picking up where I left off last week. And I don't want you to take a legalistic approach to a particular day, a particular time. I'm really talking about the Sabbath day. That's where we're going to end up at in a few moments. Really as a, as a, as a principle to be applied Uh, And you apply it where it best fits in your life. All right? Okay. Last weekend when we got started, I shared with you my story of going to the first, my first Starbucks experience. Showed up, I ordered a a cup of coffee or whatever. And the woman on on the other side of the counter said to me, would you like for me to leave room? And uh, she would later explain what she meant was she could fill the coffee cup up and still leave enough room, enough margin, if you will, for there to be cream added. And really, I tell you, this whole several weeks of teaching is really about the basic prayer that all of us, I guarantee, even people who don't have faith, uh, there's this kind of prayer that comes from our hearts. It's a simple prayer. Uh, How do I make room for the things that are life-giving, for the cream in my life. I, I, it, it, all of us are, we find ourselves in this, this new world that we're living in on this treadmill. We can't get all working and working and working. And 
busy and more busy and more busy. And this cry that comes from my soul, how do I make room for the cream? You know what the cream is, right? The cream is making room for long walks with my beloved. Making room to do the things that you so enjoy. Cooking and fishing and hiking and biking. Reading a good book. Or having an unhurried bath in the middle of the day. A lying snuggled in bed, not having to rush out to get to work. Uh, you and the entire family going for a nice swim. The cream. Can somebody say cream? Yeah. You know, watching the grandbabies play out in the front yard on the, uh, on the floor in front of you without you having to rush to your next assignment. Playing sports and games with your kids out in front or with your best friends, you know. Hanging out with your grandparents an entire day doing only what your grandparents want to do. You know, the cream. I, I say it's the cry that we all have, that we've entered this series with. How do I find time to just pray and laugh and sing and dance and delight and love and live my best life? You know, I told you what a best life is. Uh, my definition is, is a life of deep joy. If not every day, most days defined by love, reasonably healthy relationships and inner peace. Can somebody say my best life? Yes, my best life. And it is Jesus who invites us to be his apprentice uh, through our theme text for this series. And it is Jesus who says, look, come walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Watch how I live a life that creates space for the cream, for the things that bring a sense of delight, that are life-giving. And so we've tried to watch Jesus, uh, you know, over the course of this series uh, we've encouraged you every day to spend about 15 minutes of quiet time and reading through the Gospel of Mark, keeping your eye on Jesus, learning from him. We've got a, a, an entire web page set up on our website right now where you can go that's packed with wonderful resources that will help you to lean in and begin to practice what we've been teaching over the last several weeks. Jesus says, just watch how I do it. And then Jesus says, look, the secret to creating space for the cream in your living? Well, it's learning the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, can somebody say unforced? Yeah. I mean, if you were taking notes, I'd say circle that. Unforced. It's not, it's not legislated. It's not uh, mandated, right? It's, it's, it's unforced. Unforced. It comes out of a place of delight, flows towards a place of delight. And then can, shout, can you shout grace? Yeah, grace. Type that in the chat. Grace. Yeah, this, this, this notion that, that we, we, we learn these unforced rhythms through practice, rising and falling, getting it right, getting it wrong, until we find ourselves living into new rhythms and those new rhythms living in our lives. Well... As we looked at Jesus, we looked at some of the practices that helped him to maintain unforced rhythms of grace. That's what you and I are trying to discover. For example, we learn about daily prayer from Jesus. But I love what we see in Jesus in this passage. Jesus is just walking alone, right, with his disciples. And they see this grain field. They walk through the grain field and they just start picking corn as they move through. 
I love this, this, this imagery here, right? Because for me, it is an image of learning how to live every day. I'm going to end up talking about the Sabbath day in a moment. I think it was Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite Old Testament uh, uh, scholars, who says that if you keep the Sabbath day, you will live every... It, it means that you live all seven days differently. And Jesus just had a rhythm to his life, right? That he, that he was engaging in life, but there was space to see those delights along the way, along the way in each day, rather than running from assignment to assignment, project to project, day to day. What about you? Can you pause and slow down? Have you learned that over this series? And then, of course, this happens on the Sabbath day. Can you shout Sabbath day? Type that in the chat. Sabbath day. It happens on the Sabbath day, which means that Jesus honored the Sabbath day. But he wasn't legalistically tied to it. He, he actually understood the gift that was embodied in the Sabbath day. And we see, we see it really in that stroll that is happening on this wonderful day of what I call rest and delight. So let me just quickly remind you, Sabbath, can you, can you, can you say Sabbath? Yeah, that's the Hebrew word, sabbath. It simply means to stop and to delight, stop and delight. There ever was a time that we need to remember that the Sabbath was made for us, that is a gift from God for us to stop and delight so that we can experience life-giving blessings from God. It's now. So a Sabbath is simply a day of rest and worship in the light. Yeah. All right. There are a number of commands in the Bible about the Sabbath. I'm going to look at two today as we wrap this series up. Uh, and they both have some quick insight that we want to make sure we take advantage of. The first one uh, uh, is found in Exodus chapter 20. And it's really uh, Moses has led the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of slavery. They're here at Mount Sinai. They're about to be formed into a nation for the very first time. They're kind of magnum charter, if you will. It comes in the form of ten commandments. And God says, if you do these, these ten commandments, if you look faithfully to these commandments, you, you will become a remarkable nation in the world, a nation that others will, will be inspired to follow. Just do these ten things, right? And the fourth on that list is remember the Sabbath. Can somebody shout, remember? Type that in the chat. Remember the Sabbath. <laughs> You know, when I grew up in Cushat, I mentioned this last week, you know, every Sunday, that was the Sabbath day, all life slowed down. Stores shut down. Everything's just stopped to create space for the light. I didn't understand that as a kid. It just seemed very boring and very slow to me. But if you go to Cushat now, there's no sign of the Sabbath on Sunday. And that is the case all over the country. My gosh. Can we not hear God say, remember the Sabbath day? Keep it holy. Keep it separate. Sanctify. Listen, six days. Here's the rhythm. Here's the whole teaching point here. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a sabbath. It is a day to stop and delight. It is a day that's dedicated to the Lord your God who's actually given you this gift, right? And so on it you shall not do any work, neither you or your family. And the list goes on and on and on. Okay, why? Why? Why, God? Why is this the case? Okay, here's, here's, here's the answer. He says, for in six days, shout six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and he did all of his work, essentially. And, but he rested, 
Can you say rested? Type that in the chat. Rested. He rested. That Hebrew word is he sabbat on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, set it aside, made it holy. This notion is that, that, that after God did the, the magnificent work of creation, on the seventh day, he sabbat. It is as though he built into the very DNA of creation a rhythm. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. And I think the secret to that rhythm is that it is actually the secret to how your soul and my soul functions best. Six days of work, one day of rest. That's the teaching. Now, I know some people listen to me and they say, well, listen, you know, I, I, I'm about high productivity. I'm about high profits. I've got enormous competition. You know, I've got tons of work. I, I, you know, I've I, I, I got to work long hours. I don't have space for this. You know what social scientists have discovered? They've discovered that when you work 50 hours a week, when you hit 50, that that, that is the pinnacle of your productivity that you then begin to dramatically decline. Your productivity begins to dramatically decline from there. As a matter of fact, they compared a person who worked 70 hours a week with a person who worked 55 hours a week and compared their, the two productivity, the, the, the productivity of both, and they discovered that there was zero difference in the productivity of the person who worked 70 hours versus 55 hours. Hmm. Zero and if you did 50 hours a week, you kind of multiply that. You know what it would basically come out to? Six days. Six days. You know, there's another way to think about it. Uh, the Sabbath is God's gift to facilitate uh, his life-giving power to your soul and to the totality of your life. Uh, the Huffington Post several years ago released an article where uh, a doctor had overseen this survey to try to figure out who, who are the happiest people in the world. And they made a list. And towards the top of the list was a group of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists who religiously practiced the Sabbath. Sabbath. And here's what was discovered about Seventh-day Adventists. Number one, they're the, towards the top of the list of the happiest people in the world. They took one day off for delight, right? Rest and worship. Number two, on average, seven-day Adventists live seven years longer than the average American. Seven years longer. Can you type in the chat, seven years longer? Can you just say out loud, seven years longer? Yeah. And if you do the math and the correlation, you'll figure out uh, that uh, <laughs> one day of rest of week, and you multiply that out, you know, across the, 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 the seven-day period, will ultimately, seven-year period, excuse me, will come close to seven years. Wow. There's something to this notion, six days of work and one day of rest. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to me. All right, so that's, that's we find one reason for the Sabbath is it's rooted in the, the creation story of Genesis. It's a part of the DNA and the rhythm of creation. And, and the whole world, in many ways, is out of step with that rhythm. And this is why we're, we're experiencing a lot of the crisis, mental health and physical, 
and even global, out of step with God. Then comes the second time we experience the list of the Ten Commandments. This is at the end of Moses' time as being the leader of the nation of Israel. He's about to move off the scene. And so here we find in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, it's kind of his, his, his final sermon. He's doing his final teaching, calling people to remember, uh, locking them to the principles that are key to them becoming the best that God has envisioned for them to be, to live collectively their best lives. And so here's how he starts. Here's what he says about the fourth commandments here. Observe the Sabbath day. Everybody shout, observe. Notice the first time we read it in Exodus, it was remember, the NIV translation. This time we read it is observe. Now, when we say observe, what we're saying is, you know, you observe Easter. We observe Christmas, right? You make a big deal of it. You plan for it. It is, it, is, it is a big day. The suggestion is that one day a week should be a special holiday for all of us, right? And that we plan for it. We make it a big day. One day a week. A day of delight. And then when you read what comes after observe, it's everything that we read in Exodus, right? Talks about how six days God... Um, labor, you know, six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that whole piece, right? But then you get to the question of why. And here Moses inserts an additional why, a different why than what we found in Exodus. Notice the why he inserts here. Here's what he says. Here's why you should do it. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm of power. That's what's being implied. Therefore, can you shout therefore? Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you. He ordered you to observe the Sabbath day. Oh, my goodness. Do you notice that? Why? What is the connection between Watch this, remembering that you were once slaves and observing the Sabbath day. As a matter of fact, being commanded to observe the Sabbath day. It's that kind of militaristic, strong language, command you to do it. What's, What's the connection? Well, the people to whom Moses is talking to is the first generation of Israel who actually didn't grow up in slavery. Remember, they, they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. The first generation dies off during that period of time. The new generation emerge, emerges. And Moses is talking to this new generation of folk who didn't grow up in slavery. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their, their ancestors were slaves, but not these folk. And what he's saying to them is, every time you do the Sabbath, every time you honor the Sabbath, and I'm commanding you to honor it, you remind yourself, that you're not meant to be a slave. You're not a slave. And you're not meant to be a slave. That, that God went through a lot of trouble to liberate you, to set you free with a mighty arm. And I'm commanding you, don't allow yourself to become a slave again. And the way you stop from being a slave is to honor the Sabbath day. It is the Everlasting reminder that you're called to be a free people, a liberated people, not a folk of slaves. Now, my friends, listen to me. If there ever was a time that we need to hear this message, how the Sabbath reminds us that we're not called to be slaves, it's now. Because, 
Listen, here's the truth. The way most of us live our lives, we live our lives as though we're slaves. You see, in Egypt, if you were a slave, you didn't get a Sabbath day off. You didn't get a, you, or you didn't get a regular day off. You didn't get a Sabbath off. You worked seven days a week. You were always beholden to the Pharaoh and to the, to the demands of the empire. And a lot of us, we live our lives seven days a week, always beholden to Pharaoh and to the demands of the empire. You know, the person says, I just can't stop. I can't slow down. I got to get all this stuff done. Yeah. Is it possible that we sound like slaves? Slaves to Sears and Neiman Marcus. Oh, okay. Okay. Here's what I mean. Let me suggest this. I said we. I didn't say you. I said we. I think in many ways we're slave to this insatiable desire to accumulate, to acquire more and more and more and more. This insatiable desire. I think in many ways we are slaved, slaves to the insatiable desire. I'm talking about a soul condition now, right? This insatiable desire to accomplish greater and greater or more and more and more. At what point, at what point do we, do we actually say we have enough? Enough. And let me just tell you what drives these insatiable desires, I believe. Not always, but most of the time. It's comparison. It's the spirit of comparison. I saw a very benign thing that took place on Facebook recently, and it was really benign and very innocent. So I want to frame this with, with, uh, with making that clear. Benign and very innocent. But it, it took Facebook like a storm. Somebody uh, posted a picture and challenged others to do the same. Here's my picture of now. Here's my picture 10 years ago. So I'm comparing how I look today to 10 years ago. Now, here's the deal. Tons of people did it. But if you did it, nine out of ten times, it means that when you compared yourself to who you were ten years ago, you either think you looked you you look as good as you looked ten years ago, or you think that perhaps life has given you some updates and you look even better than you looked ten years ago. Nobody's posted a picture of themselves looking worse than they looked ten years ago. But everybody's watching the comparison. And the person who's not posting their picture, well, you know, they're walking away from that feeling like, I've got to do something so that the next time around I can look as good as those pictures. The spirit of comparison means I got to have a bigger house and I got to have a nicer car and I've got to have more investments, right? This, this, this notion of comparison, I've got to get to that rim on the ladder. I've got to be seen this way. He has it. She has it. Why not me? It feeds this unhealthy place in our soul, this insatiable desire more and more and more without realizing that that insatiable desire has turned us into slaves. And yet the words of Jesus in John 8 makes it clear, who the Son sets free is truly free indeed. You're not meant to be a slave. And every time we honor a 24-hour period, six days we work and one day we rest, we declare, I'm not meant to be a slave. I resist being a slave to the empire a slave to my credit cards, a slave to my insatiable desire for more. 
We need the Sabbath, don't we? It's the moment when we say, enough. All right. If, we've, if, if you're leaning in here, you say, okay, you got my attention. If I wanted to do the Sabbath, how would I do it? Let me just make a couple of suggestions. And these are suggestions because there's no legal way. To, I don't want to get you locked into legality. There's all kinds of ways you can enter in. Let me just, here's, here's, here's a pattern that you can think about. Number one, set aside a specific day and time. The Jewish Sabbath starts around sundown Friday evening, like around 6 o'clock, goes to sundown Saturday evening. Let's think 6 o'clock. That might work for you. Or Sunday, you know, sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday may work for you. Or it may be a week, Wednesday may work better for you because of your work schedule. Just pick a day, set a time, right? Remember that it really is not the same as your day off. Six days, right? Six days you work, one day you rest. Many of us have the option of working five days and having technically two days off. And the day off, one of those days is when we do all of our day off stuff, right? Which may include some fun as well. But we can, we can call that the sixth day of work. And then our time of rest and worship. Because that's what Sabbath is, rest and worship and delight. But some people may not have that luxury, right? You may have two jobs or three jobs. So you find what space you have and you use that. Number two, clear your schedule. Nothing scheduled for that day. Number three, this is going to really mess with somebody. Turn off your phone for 24 hours. Okay, I already feel some of you, you're getting a cold sweat right now, aren't you? You think about it, turn off your, 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 your chills are happening. You may even be getting the shakes right now. What am I going to do without my phone for 24 hours? Yeah. That's exactly why you need to turn your phone off 24 hours. It's a suggestion. Four. A little, little prayer. Just simply ask the Holy Spirit to shepherd you forward into this new season. And then proceed to rest, to worship, to delight, to celebrate being for one day a week free. Free. Now, let me help you expand when I say worship. Everybody shout worship. You know, does that mean that on that 24 hours do I need to be praying and reading scripture and singing uh, the praise songs we sing in church or listen to it? Well, of course you can do that. That's wonderful. But I love what John Mark Comer says when it comes to talking about worship. He says this, expand your list of the spiritual disciplines to include eating a burrito on the patio or drinking a bottle of wine with your friends over a long, lazy dinner walking on the beach with your lover or best friend, anything to index your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. Uh, the way I like to say it's having a heart oriented towards God, experiencing with gratitude the gifts that God has poured into your life, which may include a fantastic burrito on the back porch. 
Uh, let me just say this will look different for different people. If you're a college student and living in a dorm and single, it'll look one way. If you're me, I'm married and I'm, you know, living here in Silicon Valley. I'm in my late 50s. It looks different for me. If you are uh, an empty nester in Kansas City on a farm, uh, it'll look different for you. No basic rules except for figure out what, what, what will, what will, what will, what will pass the mustard of rest, life-giving, will allow you to enjoy and experience with gratitude God's gifts and God's creation. No formula, no checklist, no schedules. You get to figure it out. Is this worship? Is this rest? If it fits, great. If it doesn't, you work on moving it. Lastly, two things you need to remember if you're going to try this. One, plan it. Don't just stumble into it recklessly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready that in the next few weeks, you know, I'm going to try to live this out for six weeks going to Easter, doing my PF40 commitment, my prayer and fasting commitment, which we as a church will be doing. So in order to do that, I'm beginning to make some changes now. For example, I usually process the mail once a week on weekends. Now, because of my schedule is so busy. Uh, sometimes it's once every two weeks. <laughs> sometimes it's once every three weeks. Anyway, I got the pile of mail I got to work through. <laughs> uh, it takes hours and you know, it takes time, whatever. In order to make space for the Sabbath, every night when I get home, no matter how late it is, I take a few moments and I process what mail has come in then. You've got to plan for it in order to execute it. And then lastly, don't be enslaved by by the legalities of it. Be blessed by the gift and the spirit of it, right? Let me give you an example. Last week I told you about fish filet. I, mean, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I want to say fish filet. Chick-fil-A, all right? Last week I told you about Chick-fil-A and uh, how uh, the owner set aside, made the decision that they would not be open on Sunday. People thought that they would be crushed by their competition. They actually outperformed their competition across the country, and they're growing and multiplying. But they're not enslaved by the legality of it. They're very serious about staying closed, except uh, in 2017, uh, the International Airport in Atlanta closed down. Hundreds and hundreds of passengers got stranded. it opened, the restaurant opened up and fed all those people, right? Uh, in uh, 2019, in Mobile, Alabama, a young 14-year-old boy who had cerebral uh, palsy uh, wanted to celebrate his birthday in a, in a Chick-fil-A. They opened up and hosted that celebration. One day, Jesus was asked when he got ready to heal someone on a Sabbath day in the synagogue, and people were trying to look at him critically and use it against him. He says, listen, is it right to do good or do evil on the Sabbath? Don't get enslaved by the legalities of it. Be blessed by the gift of it. All right, here's what I want to do at this point. I I, I want to invite you... uh, Next week, I'm going to talk about PF40 as a church-wide campaign that we're going to do here, which is, you know, 40 days of prayer and fasting that we're going to do leading into Easter. And, and I, want to, I, want to, I, want to, I want to offer to you what I call the, the uh, Sabbath invitation, not directive, not 
browbeating you or trying to guilt you. It's just an invitation. And here's the invitation. I want you to set aside, consider setting aside one day a week for Sabbath, for a Sabbath. You pick the day and the time. Beginning the week of March 6th, which is next Sunday, which is a Sunday. And you go from March 6th to Easter Sunday morning. Six weeks practicing the Sabbath. You're not going to do it perfectly, but practice the Sabbath one day a week. And the reason why I'm suggesting that you consider this as part of your PF40 commitment or joining us in our prayer and fasting uh, season is because when you practice the Sabbath, you know what you're doing? You're fasting from work. And for some of us, the way to break free from slavery is to make a decision to fast for the next six weeks, beginning March 6, from work. Let me end our time here by reading a passage from uh, John Marks as he talks to Coma, as he talks about how they do Sabbath. I can't tell you about how we do Sabbath because we don't do Sabbath. We're going to hopefully explore it, uh, this Easter season. But here's what he writes. He writes, my family and I do this every week. Just before sunset on Friday, we finish up all of our to-do lists and homework and grocery shopping and responsibilities. We power down all of our devices. We literally put them in a box and store it away in a closet. And gather around the table as a family. We open a bottle of wine, light uh, some uh, candles. We read a psalm. And we pray. Then, he says, we feast. And we basically don't stop feasting for the next 24 hours in the Comer way. That's his family. And I might add the Jesus way. We sleep in Saturday morning, drink coffee, read our Bibles, pray more, spend time together, talk, laugh. In summer, walk to the park. In winter, make a fire. We get lost in good novels on the couch. We cuddle, we nap, we sabbat. Then he says this in his closing statement. He says, honestly, I spend a lot of time on Sabbath just sitting by the window being. It's like a less stressful Christmas every week. And something happens about halfway through the day, something hard to put language to. It's like my soul catches up to my body. It's like my, some deep part of me that got beat up and drowned out by meetings and emails and Twitter and relational conflict and the difficulty of life. That part of me comes back to the surface of my heart. And I feel free. Free from the need to be more, get more. Free from the spirit, the evil demonic spirit of restlessness that enslaves our society. I feel another spirit, that of the Holy Spirit. A restful calm settle over my whole person. And I find that my ordinary life, well, it's enough. And on Saturday evening when I turn my phone back on and re-enter the modern world... I do so slowly. And wow, does that ever feel so good.
Well, let's end here. This is our end of our teaching. How to live your best life. Homework, same as every week. If you're joining us for the first time, you can engage. 15 minutes every day, quiet time, reading the Gospel of Mark. Keep your eye on Jesus. And then pray this prayer. Lord, help me to learn and implement your unforced rhythms of grace in my life. God bless you. Happy Sabbath. Okay, listen. I'm hoping right now you will make the decision to respond to the message that you just heard. Simply scan the QR code right on the screen. Go to Next Steps with Jesus on our connection cards. And today can be the day that you can decide as you look around the world and you're, you're, you're basically concluding perhaps that there's not much in terms of things and people that you can fully trust except Jesus. The one who died on Calvary's cross and conquered death through his resurrection. That that's the person that you want to commit your life to. You want him to be Lord and Redeemer of your all of your tomorrows and your destiny. This is the moment to make that decision. Simply check, yes, I want to be a Jesus follower. There's some other options you can uh, also check as well. There are, if you're not in the connection, could just raise your hand as your confession of faith. I want Jesus to be Lord and Redeemer of all of my tomorrows. I submit to him. And then I want you to notice the message response. And let's read it together. I will pray about the Sabbath invitation. And I'm hoping that you will affirm that right now. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, count me in. That you'll take the next few days and pray about whether or not you're going to set aside 24 hours as your Sabbath day during the six weeks leading up to Easter. And if you are, then this reflection question is going to help you uh, to begin to organize your life so that you can execute that extremely well. Look at the reflection question. Take a picture of it. What are three things I will need to do differently in order to implement a Sabbath day into my weekly life rhythm?